because it's one of the classics it's deeply rooted in the Tao and the Taoist way of life and also um, Chinese medicine utilizing that nature of the Tao so a lot of the content was around um, how to treat and how to live in harmony um, with the seasons with the weather patterns with um, the rotations of the earth and things like that Mm -hmm. so (laughs) yeah there was a section about rotations of the earth and i was just like maths yeah sure yeah time welcome back to do with us a series of the forever young podcast we release episodes on the 16th of every month if you're new here feel free to subscribe and follow us to keep up to date with our uploads I'm Charlene, and I'm joined by Tim. Hey yo, how are you guys? H- how am I? There's not multiple. How are, yeah, how are you? <laughs> and I'm, all our listeners. Oh yeah, that's true. I am well. I am surviving this stage of lockdown. I think. Um, how are you? How is studies and everything? Um, it's it's good. I am. Um, I mean, I, I was always sort of like a hermit at home, so it's like now I have a valid excuse to be like, ah, you know, corona, uh, keeping us locked inside, it's the worst. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we were the more introverted of the group, so I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like my routine hasn't changed too much. Like, mm. I'm home by curfew, I just go out for work because I'm an mm-hmm. essential essential worker and then come yep. home and just yeah do my normal stuff so i feel like not much has changed for yeah me. yeah for us it's true so. i feel like the biggest thing is more of just the social aspect how you can't hang out with friends as much and you sort of just cooped in your house against your will yeah that's true i mean i'm lucky that i live with my friends so all the that's people true. that i would go out and see like yeah, majority yeah, yeah, exactly. of them like I live with so it's not too bad for me hey not me <laughs> not me <laughs> you live on the other side of like town though like in no, the mountains yeah that's true that's true I have to hike down from the mountains uh talking about mountains shall we introduce the the book that we're reviewing this week yes so this month This month, we reviewed The Yellow Emperor's Classic of Medicine, translated by Mao Xingni. Uh, How did did you find the book? Uh, I think this book is sort of like the... like the the set-in-stone sort of Bible of Chinese medicine. A lot of the fundamentals that they pulled out and they converted into the, the current, like, modern Chinese medicine is from this book itself yeah and yeah definitely so this well that's the reason one of the reasons why we chose this book because it mm-hmm. informs a lot of the modern modern chinese medicine that we learn in uni um so mm-hmm. this book is a bit of like a conversation or a discourse between the yellow emperor and his um, ministers or advisors so it's kind of like question and answer style so yeah exactly in that way Mm -hmm. it's kind of simple or the way it's structured it's simple to read and understand um the actual content of it is a lot to take in 
Yeah, like this book is full of that sort of, you know, the hidden treasures that they always talk about when you're reading Chinese literature. This book is filled like to the brim with all these sort of hidden gems and like analysis that you can do on these sort of texts because they're talking with each other and you you sometimes they don't really explain it completely. They sort of choose what they want to explain from when um the yellow emperor or Huangdi asks his advisor Chipo and I'm sorry if I butchered that but it's it's sort of like back and forth and you really do sort of encapsulate that conversation aspect rather than the textbook sort of like explanation did you find that as well yes for sure um one though one thing i was actually reading when we were looking up this book is that the translated version so the version that we read actually is gives further explanations and is more elaborate mm-hmm. so the original is actually a lot simpler if that makes oh, sense. Right. So, like, the translated version we read, the author kind of added in um, explanations to fill in the blanks and make sure everything flows, whereas I guess <laughs> the untranslated version is very, like, minimalist in the explanations. Right. So, right. yeah. Do, do you think that affected your readings at all? Because it's um, it's through this Mao Xingni's translation. I think... I think it was fine for me personally. I mean, it was a lot to take in because I think I should have taken longer to read it. I think we both read it in like a week. Um, yeah, we sped, we sped read it. Yeah, it's not a book. It It is a, actually a better way of phrasing it is it's a book that you should take your time to read and to understand. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, the more you sort of read, the more you sort of discover every time you read it. You're like, oh. I didn't know about this. Or like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about this part of Chinese medicine that you could totally use for treatment or for anything, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That being... I was just going to add, no, like, reading go. through it, it just gave me, like, flashbacks of when we learned, like, specific things through uni and it's like the lecturers presented it to us once and then we just, like, were examined on it and then forgot about it. But then when I read it, I was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, that's a thing. Like, it was, yeah, mm-hmm. it was... A nice flashback. Uh, I, I don't know about nice for me, but uh, it was definitely a flashback. And it's it's really good to go through like the original text it came from, where they took all those sort of notes from. So I thought that was really cool. Not really nice, but kind of cool, I guess. Yeah. Um, that being said, do you recommend this? Who do you sort of recommend this book to from your stance after reading it? I would recommend it actually to later year students. So students that have actually grasped the Chinese medicine principles and have like a good understanding of it already, because otherwise you might tend to get confused. Like even me reading it, I've graduated. I'm not super experienced. I do have like a Chinese medicine understanding, but there were bits I was just like, wait, what? And it just kind of, like lost me at times so I mm-hmm. think if you take your time with it um, and you have a basic understanding of Chinese medicine already you would get the most from this book yeah I, I completely agree as well where it's just like sometimes they would explain stuff so deep into I guess what we haven't learned yet as well where I just feel like I was lost sometimes reading all this like stuff 
so yeah i i definitely don't recommend this if you're starting it might be a good way to learn that there's still a lot more to learn and you can use those as a stepping stone but definitely if you're have a strong foundation sort of in chinese medicine before you read the classics yeah i think that's a good point for i guess most of the classics um there's a reason why we only learn it in our later years because we've already got that foundation to build on so yeah i mean but if you are interested like definitely read it um and mm-hmm. let yeah let us know if you're completely new to chinese medicine and you've read it let us know what you took from it and what you thought of it i think it'd be very yeah. interesting mm. Just to add on on top of that, I feel like they don't explain a lot of the new basic sort of concepts as well. That's why it's more for advanced or like moderate to advanced people in Chinese medicine. So that being said, do you think it's worth the money? So I think it's around $34 on Amazon for the paperback and like $20 for the Kindle version. Mm-hmm. I think think so yes because this is another book that's going to go on my clinic bookshelf so i i think it's got so much interesting content in it um around chinese medicine but also around living in harmony with nature so i would buy it for 34 australian or u.s either or i would buy it (laughs) (laughs) money's not the issue yeah That's fair enough. I feel, yeah, I, I completely agree. This is sort of like the Bible of Chinese medicine. So it's like, if you're into Chinese med, why not buy the Bible for it? Yeah. Or at least a mm. version of the Su Wen, because this is the Su Wen. Yes, because there's mm. two, the Huang yes. Di there's two parts. There's the Su Wen, which is the questions and the answers. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Ling Shu, which is the acupuncture stuff. So I feel like you have to have both. Not yeah. Or, yeah. But to make yourself look <laughs> impressive, at least, you'd be like, ah, look, these are the two books <laughs> that the classics came from. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, what did you mean by nature? You talked about nature. Like, what, what, do, what can listeners expect to see in this sort of book when you mentioned nature? And like, what else did they talk about just so they get a brief understanding quickly? So this book, because it's one of the classics, it's deeply rooted in the Tao and the Taoist way of life and also um, Chinese medicine utilizing that nature of the Tao. So a lot of the content was around um, how to treat and how to live in harmony um, with the seasons, with the weather patterns, with um, the rotations of the earth and things like that Mm -hmm. so (laughs) yeah there was a section about rotations of the earth and i was just like maths yeah sure yeah time (laughs) i get heaven and earth why not yeah and so that's the other Mm. thing um they kind of talked about like nature's cycles and how us as um, humans are part of that cycle and what we can do for optimum health and to kind of for optimum treatment of health if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like how to treat with nature and with what's going on around you which was super interesting and it's very Mm -hmm. complex 
it's a little bit complicated as well if you're not used to it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think you summed it up really nicely there, where it's just like there's everything going on in the sort of world that's there's like time, space. There's like earth, heaven. There's like the mind, the spirit, the physical body, that that sort of stuff. Where instead of looking at the body holistically, they look at you in this time and space, in this whole world and galaxy, and how to treat you, to give you the best sort of health. Which is super confusing. Like, how are you going to take all of that into account as a practitioner? But yeah, we'll we'll go more into that in the deep dive. So that being said. That is our little first segment of this episode, where we sort of run what to expect from this book. If you're interested in getting the book and you don't want any more spoilers from us, I guess if you could call it spoilers, even though it's been around for thousands of years, this is probably a good time to hit pause and then uh, read the book and then come back and listen to the next segment if you like. Well, that's the little warning that we give every single episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Welcome back to the second segment of this episode. So this time we're going into the deep dive of this book and seeing sort of all the juicy bits and I guess all the not so juicy bits as well, all sort of included. So going back to when we were first briefing over this book, we talked about the sort of nature and living according to nature. So the stuff like the seasons and the taste could you elaborate a bit more on how sort of like the the two of them conversed about this sort of stuff? Yeah, so I guess the emperor just asked all these questions about um, what is the normal thing to be seen during the seasons and his advisors was explaining that um, there's these cycles in nature. So spring is the beginning of the cycle when the energy is should be kept open and fluid and it's the time of growth and then in summer it opens up further and there's this exchange or communication between the internal and external energies and then it comes into fall and this is the time to start to conserve so you're kind of slowing down a little bit and then finally in winter you're storing your energy ready ready again to grow and open up in spring so that's one of the cycles which also kind of you see yin and yang going through so summer is the most young whereas you've got the most open and like energy flowing and winter is the most yin where you're kind of conserving and you're storing and not a lot of movement and then the spring and the fall fall in between yeah. that kind of cycle yeah yeah so and then mm -hmm. oh sorry yes no 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 go for it do you want to elaborate a little bit about the tastes um no i wanted to just quickly ask more about because they had another interesting season that he added in there which was late summer which is mm -hmm. the fifth season apparently that he sort of dabbed in like it's sort of like subcategory where it's big enough for yeah. him to mention about it um 
because I think each season is associated with the elements and in Chinese medicine there's five elements so it made sense for there to be a an extra season but I think I was reading also in it that this season is not its own category because or like major season because you see aspects of the late summer throughout all the seasons as well like it's most prominent when it like most prominent in in its season wait does that the most properties of the late summer season you see are during this time but you do see properties throughout the rest of the seasons as well yes 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 does that, does that make sense yes. now yes what, what what sort of do you expect in that late summer then because it's prominent enough to be its own sort of thing but not really prominent enough to be its own season um i think the main things that we're talking about um the main kind of weather or pathogen you see is damp um, mm-hmm. and it's like lingering and it's kind of heavy and sticky and so if you do see it in late summer it kind of tends to stick around throughout all the seasons as well which is why you can see aspects of it in the other seasons interesting okay i, I didn't really know that as well i thought it was mostly just when summer transforms from really hot to cold and then that transition period where it's like super hot to super cold and i guess that's where the dampness like you mentioned can build up Mm. yeah definitely i think that's where the main section of it comes Mm -hmm. but i think there's like one sentence in the entire book on it but it's just explaining that um it's not a major season because you do um, it does kind of stick around and is throughout all the other seasons, which I yeah. thought was super interesting, interesting. because I, I guess when you talk to someone who doesn't know anything about um, Chinese medicine, they're like, what is late summer? Why do you have an extra season? Mm-hmm. And even when we were learning it, we're like, late summer, isn't that just like fall? Like what? Yes. Yes. It's like, why is, the, why is there no late winter or late autumn or late spring? Yeah. Like, why is it just the late summer? Mm. Yeah, but I guess if you read a bit more of the classics, you do kind of see it referred to a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's just like a category and stage in time, and they just so happen to name mm. it late summer because that's when they see it the most. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Something else I also found very interesting about the seasons is that he explains a lot in this book. Um, what's his name? Chipor. Chipor explains a lot in this book about how each season will set you up for the next season to come. So that's the sort of cycle between each season. So let's say, for example, I was not prepared in summer and following summer is... uh, Fall. Fall, yes, autumn. Autumn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like if I wasn't prepared in summer, um, I would... Like, my young would be damaged, and I would... When I'm making that transition period, I'm more likely to have sort of, um, like, diarrhea, damp periods, because I'm going through late summer. And then after late summer to autumn, if I don't have anything, then that could damage me again. And that will set me up throughout the years for my, like, diseases and my body organs to just spiral to worse and worse if you're not prepared. Yeah, definitely. And they also talk about um, what 
pathogen or like what conditions you're more likely to see if you don't kind of set up properly if that makes sense so you mentioned like diarrhea and stuff um but like in spring the wind is more abundant so you see a lot of like conditions um that are wind related that affect like the tendons and the ligaments and things like that and then in summer because the element is fire you see more heat type of conditions um so though they affect mostly the heart and then the late summer which is the element of earth you see more of those damp conditions which affect affect the spleen and then in autumn you see more dryness and in winter you see more cold i was gonna say you see more kidney but you see more cold conditions <laughs> you see more kidneys lying around everywhere because everyone abandoned them <laughs> um no yeah that's exactly right and i i think it's fair to say like i can understand that aspect when they were talking about how important the cycle is and how mm. starting from somewhere to help you for that season and for the next season and the next season is really mm. really important and then another thing that they talk about um, is also how each season has its own like specific pulse and like when you needle or treat during these seasons, there is a specific method, which I don't think we will talk about too deeply, but it's just super interesting because I guess when we learn to take pulse, we learn like one normal and this is the normal that we compare all other pulses too whereas when you read about it it's like oh well in summer the pulse should be more abundant or um, in winter it should be um, more sinking more yeah more sinking and it's like how unless you're seeing a patient kind of throughout the entire year how do you determine whether it's pathological like or it's just a normal sinking yeah I, I think that's <laughs> I think that's a really important point to make as well because a lot of this knowledge was based in China when he made this book, obviously. So all the sort of conditions he made would have been set in the climate of China, if that makes sense. So I don't. do you think it's applicable to people in warmer climates who only have two seasons or like, yeah, like other, other places which are like colder or warmer? Like how do you think that sort of relates? I think the way we learn it is is a good way in that you compare it to the normal because even in this book they say um, I think it's four breaths no four beats per breath is the normal and I think the normal that we learn is still in line with them but they just take into more of the environmental um, effects on our pulse and on our body yeah so I think it's super interesting to consider but yeah as you said maybe it's not as relevant for a place that only has two climb like two seasons mm. i think that's yeah like I, I think you definitely take into consideration that like let's say if it was a hotter environment then people are more likely to suffer like hot conditions and diseases because their pulses are, tend to be more rapid sort of thing so like it can influence it but just knowing sort of where the benchmark for most things are is probably the foundation yeah level. does that make sense but i think you can 
Yeah, de- definitely. I think you can take into consideration. Uh, basically, the book is telling you to look at nature and environment mm. when you um, look at disease, and I think that's super important because someone that is living in like an equatorial, like hot all round. Or maybe two seasons, hot and dry and hot and wet. Um, you would take into account the diet that they have and the environment, um, their living environment, as well as the natural environment as well. So even if you don't take specific things from the book, or if you don't use the specific um, advice, advice that's in there. I don't know if advice is the right word. Yeah, it's, um, you it's, can. It's advice. Yeah. Yeah, you can take the um, overall kind of message, which is to look at everything mm. and that it does play a big impact. Yeah, I agree. I feel like a large aspect of this book as well is the tastes. I noticed, like, I feel like that's a good point that you made about nature. And then he, he mentions, like, taste and, like, diet, and, like, lifestyle sort of thing, which is interesting. Did you learn anything about tastes? in this book overindulgence if anyone taste is bad <laughs> I, I yeah i can't remember too much about the taste but i know i remember that taste is super important because it's not only the taste of the food that you eat but also the taste of the herbs um the herbs that have different tastes have different properties and that's what you want to use to counteract the diseases that have certain properties. So you want to use like opposite herbs mm-hmm. to help heal the body, which was super interesting. Yeah, like I think it's super important, especially in our modern sort of society where everyone tends to overindulge in things that they like to eat and that in turn will affect our organs or our circulation. So for example... Um, if you overindulge in salty foods, which we all love from like fast foods, all right, maybe not maybe not all of us, but certainly <laughs> me, I love it from fast foods, like the salty <laughs> sort of taste. Um, how it affects my body would start to coagulate the blood and affect my circulation and change the color of my blood. So, like Western med, I guess you could um, you could sort of see the same thing where salt tends to absorb all the moisture and slow the circulation of my blood. Um, another example would be like uh, overindulgence in bitter foods will cause the skin to become shriveled and dry out, so like body hairs to fall out. Which I'm not—I've never met someone who's been overly keen of bitter foods, but <laughs> that's a thing. Bitter melon? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely not. But no. the, it's like, how much bitter melon can you realistically eat? Mm, exactly. <laughs> I feel like green tea is bitter, though, and lots of people Mm. love green tea. But also, like, green tea has anti... Combining medicines here, like antioxidants and other stuff as well in it. Yes, but... So... Yeah. Like, it's it's good, but, like, we're talking about, like, overeating, like, four cups, five cups of green tea every day. Is that what you consider over overindulging yes like I, in I, green uh, i i think once it starts manifesting itself in the body through symptoms so people like the person may start noticing their hair becomes drier their skin tends to like become more shriveled then that is when your body's like i've had enough 
I need to like get rid of all this bitter food by showing you symptoms, which is as mentioned. What about what about coffee? Because some people have like eight cups of coffee a day, and coffee is bitter. Yeah, I same Thoughts? thing. <laughs> I would say the same thing in that aspect, where mm. they will start noticing like. I'm getting all these symptoms, but I love coffee so much. I'm just going to ignore them because they're totally worth it. I cut down coffee. So Did sad. You? Um, maybe that's why I'm. <laughs> no. Uh, maybe that's why your skin is of. glowing. Oh, no, that's the light. That's the lighting. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I'm trying to cut down to one coffee a day actually and there have been some days that I haven't had coffee at all um this is really random um because I'm gonna just talk about routines I started like exercising as soon as I wake up and I think that's given me more energy throughout the day so yeah basically I guess when winter started I wanted as soon as the my room gets bright I wanted to get some movement in and then when it gets dark at night then I don't want to do as much movement um, because I don't really want my chi going outwards at night when it is colder so I want to utilize those daylight hours if that makes sense I guess it's related to living with like living with nature and living in harmony with nature yeah no exactly you're right did you notice any differences when you s- started reducing your coffee? No, I didn't even notice that I stopped going for coffees. Normally, when I'm at work, you get to like lunchtime or like 1 or 2 p.m. And I'm like, oh, I need a coffee. But I, in the past month, I guess, I haven't noticed cravings or I only realized recently that I hadn't been going to get those coffees. So, very interesting. Mm. Maybe, maybe like you don't need to rely on your coffees now because you're now more one, one in line with nature. Maybe. Mm. I've reduced my consumption of bitter foods. That <laughs> benefits your... Uh, what was it? Shit. My uh, sh- skin not becoming shriveled yes. and my body hairs not falling out. <laughs> <laughs> you put it like that. Exactly. I mean, Exactly right. Um, that being said, on the other side, there are certain tastes. A Chinese medicine, according to the the Yellow Emperor, certain foods can help certain organs and benefit from it as well. Yeah. Please do elaborate. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, for instance, we're talking about the bitter taste, so that can help for the heart generally. The lungs mm. um, benefited by pungent taste. Sweet taste benefits the spleen, the liver's benefited by sour taste, and the kidneys by salty taste. Mm. So, really random question. Mm-hmm. You said before too much salty food damages the kidneys, but salty food also benefits the kidneys? Um, so too much salty food from before damages the blood circulation. Oh, blood circulation. Okay, yes. but benefits the kidneys. Yes, but I'm I'm guessing from the Western med perspective, if you have too much salt, that will damage the kidneys, right? Because it takes it affects your blood's uh, your water metabolism and all like the fluids in your body. So I think 
overindulgence will affect those organs, but if you're looking to tonify those organs is when you want to start introducing more of those sort of tastes or herbs within the patient. So let's say I'm heart deficient or like chi or blood deficient and I need to increase that sort of circulation, then I would start introducing sort of bitter foods. And it's only once I take too much does that affect my heart and that causes my skin to shrivel and body hairs to fall mm. out. <laughs> yes. That yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And then you would, to determine what organ is deficient, you would just go through your normal diagnosis process. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Interesting. Actually, another interesting thing from the book on the organs was the hierarchy or um the relationship between the zhang and the fu in terms of like one is the emperor and then like the others are different ministers which i think we've touched on previously in our normal podcast but we never yeah we never got the answer (laughs) from the books from the textbook itself (laughs) we haven't got the real answer and we will forever remember it now, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. So, to answer that very op- that question we left very open-ended in our other podcast, mm-hmm. so the heart is considered the sovereign, the emperor of all the organs, and it represents the consciousness of your being. And it's responsible for intelligence, wisdom, and spiritual transformations. So from our introductory series, we talked about how the heart is the house for the Shen and all of the spirits. So this kind of just falls in line with that. And then the lung is the advisor and it helps the heart with regulating the body's chi. The liver is like the general. It's courageous and smart. And the gallbladder is like a judge. Um, for its power of discernment and then the pericardium is like the court gesture who makes the king laugh and bring forth joy and then the stomach and spleen are like warehouses so they store all the food and essences and they also help with the digestion absorption and the extraction of the nutrients And then the large intestines is responsible for the transportation of all the turbidity. So it's kind of like a transport system. Um, While the small intestines receives the food that's been digested and then further extracts it and further separates it. So it's kind of like the port for all the transportations or like the transport hub, I guess. And then the kidneys store the vitality and mobilize the four extremities so they also aid the memory the willpower and the coordination the bladder is where the water converges and where it's eliminated so it's kind of like the sewage system or like a dam storage Mm -hmm. Um, and then the sun jiao is promotes the transformation and transportation of water and fluids so these 12 Zhang and Fu organs work together harmoniously to make the kingdom that is your body function properly. Mm-hmm. And hence the expression why whenever people address each other as their kings and queens, it's because you have your own palace inside of you. Yes, queen! <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
However, actually, the important thing, I guess, the important theme throughout all of the classics and when we're talking about like mind and decision is that the decision making is the king's job. So if the spirit is clear, then all of the other body functions your kingdom will run smoothly if the king is functioning properly and has a clear mind so you always have to look after your heart yeah exactly that's that's (laughs) nice and it's like everything else will affect how your heart or your your king will be thinking or your emperor Mm. so if everything's not good have a look at the other organs as well because that's probably Mm. what's affecting your heart yeah Mm. Is there anything anything else interesting you found in the book you want to touch on before we sign we... off? Yeah, I think something that this book does really well is it sets the person reading up on um, what to expect from a practitioner or someone who's like administering medicine onto someone else. Um, he, he shows you or he tells the the emperor the yellow emperor about like what you can expect from someone who's a good practitioner so it's not just someone who can administer medicine it's it's more than that it's it's the ability through i think there was five different points that he talked about so it was the from start to bottom the diagnosis of the physician so him not being able to observe or gather information correctly will affect how he's treating the patient. Secondly is the treatment. So understanding the principles of like tonifying, reducing, like strengthening, all that sort of side, looking at the emotional aspect of the patient and the lifestyle. So for example, the psychological can damage the physical and the physical can damage like the sort of psychological aspects. So for example, anger can damage the yin in someone uh, or overexcitement can scatter the yang and that will affect your organs, affecting your king, um, etc, etc. Number three is the deduction of reasoning. So now that you've gathered all the information, you've observed the patient, you've looked at sort of everything, how can you use this knowledge from you as a practitioner to deduce this patient's whole picture? And which follows on with the next step, which is counselling and talking to the patient. So this one has to do a lot with the practitioner's like ethics and morality. Like if the practitioner can't is lacking compassion and sincerity, it's like... They can't guide the patient to that sort of healthy body mindset sort of thing. So if I'm like, here you go, here's your meds, on your bike, see ya. It's like, your patient's not going to feel like they're actually being cared for. And that just leads them to be like, your meds didn't work. I don't feel like treasured or being like cared for. And that's that's another thing that a, pa- a practitioner needs to have, that sort of compassion and care. And the last one is like the in like being inept. So not understanding the sort of medical principles and techniques. So this is like the be be all and end all of your treatment. So if none of these sort of aspects were considered, then you'd expect to be bad in this sort of category. Yeah. 
I think um, the other things that they mention um, about being an effective practitioner is to have unity of your mind and spirit and be focused when you are treating a patient. So not thinking, oh, what's for lunch or something like that. Like when your patient is there, that's where all your attention is. And then also to understand the way of the Tao and how that affects the body and the mind. Um, I think those were important as well from memory. Yeah. I think yeah. it's it's weird. So the one that I was quoting was like the failings of a physician. So like, uh. this is what happens if it's a bad one. But it's mm. different to being an effective one, which was which was like the one I was meant to talk about. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I think there's like three different ones. There's like mediocre guy, bad bad mm. physician, and then there's like effective physician, like yes. good one. Yeah. I and know. I guess a an effective physician, apart mm. from. Um, like being focused and knowing the way of the Tao also knows the properties of the herbs and mm. um, the way of acupuncture and treatment and also what you were saying, like diagnosis and mm. utilizing our senses and our observation skills as well as our questioning skills mm. to kind of read between the lines and picking up what the patient isn't physically seeing. Yeah. this I think all 10 of these is what's important if you want to improve your treatment or how you talk to patients, this is all like, I feel like a must in my books to be the best practitioner that you you possibly can be. Yeah, for sure. And I think the last 10 or so chapters of the book is the emperor talking to um, one of another physician who's not as well experienced and the physician's basically saying, I'm trying all these things, but it's not working. And the emperor is giving him advice on what he's doing or what he should be doing, which is super interesting from a practitioner perspective as well. Cause you don't really get that. This is what you should be doing now that you're out of uni or like now that you're not studying anymore, you don't have that someone being like, well, you're not, doing this the right way yeah so it's interesting to kind of look at it and be like oh am i doing that should i be doing that type thing yeah i I wish we had this during our first year of treating in clinic Mm. i feel like we're always like Mm. are we doing it the right way and then (laughs) the the head like the person in charge of us is like yeah you're fine don't worry like as long as you follow these sort of principles is what i wish they had said then like it would have been fine. And to have faith in mm. yourself. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Can I end this on a quote mm-hmm. um, from the book? So health and well-being can be achieved only by remaining centered with one's spirit, guarding against squandering one's energy, maintaining the constant flow of one's chi and blood, adapting to the changing seasonal and yearly macrocosmic influences and nourishing one's self preventatively. So what does that mean? On that note, (laughs) on that note, take care of yourself during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't, don't overthink everything that's going on. If you can't change 
anything. You know, if you're worrying about something and you can't change anything, stop worrying about it. If you are worrying about something and you can change something about it, then why are you worrying? Just change it. Um. So let go of yeah, let go of what you can't change, and look after yourself. Look after your heart. Uh, I actually really like that. That is really good <laughs> advice. I think I might actually use that advice. <laughs> yeah, when I when I someone said it to me, I was just like, "That's very good advice." Like, why am I worrying about these things? It's true. So, yeah, we hope you took something from this podcast and this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our summary is that we would definitely recommend, recommend it. it. Mm-hmm. How many um, Yin Yang logos would you like to give it? Um, this one's probably a th- four, probably a four for me. What about you? Four or four and a half. Like oh. it's it's up there. Apart from it just being super long. <laughs> it was a bit long at times. Yeah, but for yeah, sure. it's the content is actually very worth it mm-hmm. um, to read. So yeah, we hope this offers some insight about this book. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and let us know what you thought of the book. Thank you for listening to The Do With Us. And we've been the Forever Young Podcast. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.